0: Hey, what's important about money to you? I've been asking that question for many years as a financial planner. Um, and in the last several months, I've been asking myself that question. So I'm just curious, what's important about money to you? Most people would say security. My wife, Connie, would say security um, and you ask what's important about security to you she would give you some more meaningful answers and some deeper answers but if you ask me what's important about money to you my first answer would be uh, freedom and if you ask me what's important about freedom I would start to tell you why freedom is you know what that looks like in my life so it's a question that as a financial planner I've asked for many years and it's been a very helpful question And it's always quite surprising the answers that I get. Sometimes uh, it's quite surprising to the client and sometimes it's a little bit surprising to me. And regularly when I'm interviewing a husband and a wife or a couple uh, who have been together for some time, um, they've never really asked that question. They've never really thought about what's important about money to them in terms of their vision their their values and the real purpose in life so that's the question today I was uh, posting I posted on missional money this is the introduction to my book make your money count and I sat down to make some edits to the video this video and I was interrupted by a couple of really interrupting people Uh, Caleb and Maddie just barged in to my study as I was working getting ready to work and make some edits and so I took a little time out and it kind of had they have a way of changing my plans for the day and they certainly did today change my plans but in a kind of a good way because what happened is Maddie and Caleb came in and they wanted to spend time with pops and they jumped up in my lap and I started Showing them a video, some videos that we'd taken last time we went camping. And so I'm going to share that with you in this post today, just so you can see um, what my life looks like today. Because when I wrote my book, Make Your Money Count, all those years ago, it was back just before the great financial crisis. And like I said, it's, it, it's well, it's been a while. Um, but back then when I wrote Make Your Money Count, I wanted to put together a book that um would be helpful for people in small groups was teaching some small groups in my church uh using dave ramsey's material and that was working okay to but then uh well it wasn't working great so i wanted to do something that i thought could be more helpful and that's why i wrote make your money Count." it was really a guide for small groups um but it was uh It was was an experience. Writing Make Your Money Count, it took about two years. And at the end of the process, I was really pleased with the way it came out. And so I'm pretty excited about being able to republish it, if you will. Uh, So today I took that first step and I published the introduction on my website, Make a Mission Money published the introduction to Make Your Money Count uh, and I'm also creating content in the online course Uh, the course is named after the book Make Your Money Count so I hope you'll check that out if you go to Missional Money you'll see this post along with the introduction to Make Your Money Count and all of the captions and uh, headers in that chapter I was just looking, it's kind of got to be careful while i drive and do this but i was just had it up on my ipad and the uh the chapter the introduction rather is really it's kind of an outline for what's coming in the book and i talk about vision and values and purpose and i i also tell a story i call it the wedding planner it's based on a true story all of the stories in the book make your money count are based on true stories. The names have all been changed uh, to protect the innocent. Um, But it, like I said, true stories. The Wedding Planner was the opening story. And the opening quote in the book from Ricky Bobby of Talladega Nights, uh, 98% of us will die at some point in our life. So a little planning goes a long way. I love that quote for an opening quote. Anyway, I hope you enjoy... This week's post Uh, again, I was creating content for the course. Uh, You can learn more at Missional Money. If you're listening to this in the podcast, go to MissionalMoney.com. You'll notice at the top of the page there are three big blue buttons. The first one is subscribe, that's to subscribe to the podcast. That's a great way to get started, but don't stop there click on the enroll button and it will take you to the actual course which is again named after my book uh, make your money count and that's where i'm building content uh, for that course it's all free And then the third big button is to, hey, let's make a plan. That's where you get access to a financial planning portal, the same premium planning portal that is available for my clients at Bayrock Financial. So all of this is really sponsored by Bayrock, but it starts at missionalmoney.com. And so this is... Today, I'm posting in the podcast. And if you are listening, just know that you're missing out on the B roll, the video. This is every week when we do the podcast, it's also a video. So check it out. Go to missionalmoney.com, and the video is in today's post. Uh, The post is called Make Your Money Count Intro. And uh, I hope you'll check it out. So while you watch today's post, You'll notice that I'm using some cool B-roll footage uh, from Caleb and Maddie and Lovey and myself, mostly them because I'm behind the camera, but I'm taking pictures while we're camping, while we're teaching Caleb and Maddie how to use their uh, their scooters, and it's, it's a ton of fun. like I say in my video with Maddie and Caleb, when I got interrupted, one of the most one of the things i enjoy doing the most is going camping with connie and with caleb and with maddie and lucy our dog so i hope you enjoy the footage i hope to see you in the course at make your money count uh, and by the way i'm i'm preparing i'm working on a tax planning kit uh, so i'm going to take the 10 most popular tax planning guides that we've put together over the years for clients and I'm going to post them at missional money so be be on the lookout that will be coming in the next day or two and these are again the 10 most popular uh, financial planning guides for taxes uh, for to help you prepare for what's coming which is tax day My birthday, April 15th. This year, though, uh, 2020-2022, tax day is actually going to be on April 18th. So you have a couple extra days to fund your Roth IRA. If you haven't done that, do it. If you need help, give me a call. Uh, Usually, if you have earned income... Uh, or if your spouse has earned income, a Roth IRA is one of the best things you can do to save in a tax-free way. So you have until April 18th to fund your Roth IRA for 2021. So don't delay. Uh, you need to do that before April 18th. Uh, so check it out if you If you're you're like me and you're over 50, this year I believe you can contribute $7,000. You don't want to miss the opportunity to do that. And again, you can do that for the year 2021 all the way up until tax day. This year, this year it's April 18th. So I'll see you soon back here again in the podcast uh, and hopefully in the course. I will be creating content for the course. Uh, since tax day is coming up, I'm going to be posting those 10 tax planning uh, guides, the most popular ones. But I'm also working on investment strategies. So this week, in fact, for the next several weeks at the University of Houston, if you're one of my students at the University of Houston in personal finance we're going to transition and be focusing on investment management and I'm going to share investment strategies uh, designed to help you maximize returns and minimize risk. Specifically I'm going to be teaching uh, four investment strategies that are really designed for younger investors uh, and these Four strategies to maximize returns and minimize risk. Number one is diversification. I'll be talking about Enron and what I learned working with clients who actually worked at Enron. That's diversification. It's, it's a very simple strategy, but a very important strategy when it comes to managing risk in your investments. Number two is uh, one of the most important. It's called asset allocation. Asset allocation is actually an investment strategy. In fact, it's the most uh, asset allocation is the investment strategy that will determine it has the most it's the most important determinant of your portfolio's returns. So uh, asset allocation is very important. So I'll be unpacking what that is, how it works, and how you can put it into place. Whether you're a young uh, young investor or an old investor, asset allocation is key. So that's number two. Number three investment strategy is what I consider to be the most powerful investment strategy for younger investors. If you have time to invest, the more time that you have, the more powerful dollar cost averaging is in terms of your returns. So again, four investment strategies designed to help you maximize returns and minimize risk. And the fourth one is portfolio rebalancing and I'll teach you how that actually works like dollar cost averaging even if you're uh, not a young investor, if you're an older investor like me portfolio rebalancing is a tremendously important and powerful investment strategy. So that's what's coming for the next several weeks. I'll be teaching about investing, investment strategies, investment management. So you don't want to miss that. It's the most popular topic in our course in personal finance at the Bauer College of Business at the University of Houston. So just a reminder, the course Uh, go to missionalmoney.com, subscribe to the podcast, uh, so that you don't miss anything, uh, but also enroll in the course, uh, It's called Make Your Money Count. You can click on that second button on the top of the page at missionalmoney.com. It will take you right to the platform that we use for our online training. And then number three on that page at Missional Money is Let's Make a Plan. That's where you get free access to the premium planning portal uh, where I will help you create a compelling financial plan. So I hope you enjoy today's uh, post. Here comes the introduction to Make Your Money Count, along with some really cool B-roll from these two creatures who interrupted me. Creatures. They're not creatures. They're adorable little people, and you get to see them in action. So hope you enjoy it. See you next
1: time. Have a good week. 98% of us will die at some point in our lives, so a little planning can go a long way. Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights. I could see it on their faces and hear it in their voices. The difference was startling. Two couples, both clients of mine, had daughters who were getting married, but that's where the similarities stopped. Chris and Robin wanted a nice wedding for their daughter Melissa, but Chris hadn't saved a dime since he started working after graduate school. He always figured things would work out, and someone, his parents, his employer, or the lottery jackpot, would provide any money he and his family needed. But now, wedding plans were in full swing, and he had no money to pay for it. Money, or rather the lack of it, consumed him and his relationships with his wife and daughter. Over and over again, Robin and Melissa made plans, but when they presented them to Chris, he grimaced, shook his head, and then exploded, "'You know we can't afford that. What were you thinking?' Chris contacted me to ask for advice about managing his money, but in fact he had no money to manage. The family had spent all they made every month since Chris and Robin got married, so there simply wasn't any money to pay for the wedding. As the reality of his past choices hit him in the face, Chris felt ashamed and humiliated because he wasn't able to provide for his dear daughter's needs. In a short time, his discouragement slipped into depression, and he felt completely hopeless helpless and worthless. Still, the wedding plans had to be made, and the stress between Chris and Robin robbed the family of the joy of Melissa's wedding. Eventually, Chris borrowed enough money to have a very modest ceremony, but the damage was done. Every moment and every decision was dominated by the painful lack of money, so relationships were strained. They endured rather than celebrated Melissa's wedding my other clients phil and trish had saved plenty of money for their daughter's wedding no they hadn't saved enough for swans sky riders and chodebron for 400 but they had enough for a beautiful wedding phil told me that a wonderful moment came early in the planning when his daughter alicia asked dad what's our budget for the wedding phil answered with a question of his own how much were you thinking of she gave him a number and he replied you can add more to that we have enough And I want this to be a wonderful, beautiful day for you. Imagine what that did for Alicia's sense of peace as she planned the wedding. And for her relationship with her dad. I talked to Phil a number of times as the weeks wound down to the wedding. And each time he told me something like, Every day I thank God that we have enough money to provide for Alicia's wedding. That takes such a load off. We're having a blast. Phil's family had some decisions to make. And, of course, some of the choices were difficult ones. Should they allocate more money for a photographer and less for flowers or the other way around? But the difficulty of those decisions pales in comparison to the shame, anger, and anxiety Chris, Robin, and Melissa experienced. When Alicia's day arrived, it was a beautiful thing to see. Everybody was completely relaxed and focused on the joy of the moment, with no hint of anxiety about money. Phil told me, Alicia's wedding was beautiful fun and meaningful in fact it was glorious Phil and Trish had been intentional about managing their money and they experienced incredible benefits from their plan the emotional nature of money money may seem inert but it has the power to cripple or heal to depress or inspire dr. Lawrence Barton the president and chief executive officer of the American College observed, Money is tangible, but it is also emotional in nature. It is necessary for the exchange of goods and services, but is also what divides spouses and families, and is often the source of permanent scars among loved ones. Interestingly enough, many individuals spend more time analyzing the sports scores or their horoscope in the daily newspaper than they invest in monitoring their daily financial health. From the foreword of What Matters Most by Jim Munchback. Baxter Press, Friendswood, Texas, 2004, page 9. A recent study concluded that most decisions about money are emotional, not rational decisions. We are inundated by countless messages that we simply have to have this product or that service to make us happy, successful, and accepted. But we don't hear any messages about the benefits of saving and investing. So we buy, hoping that this time our purchase will make us feel really good but with a nagging sense of guilt and anxiety that we'll have to pay for it in another month. In a think tank sponsored by the National Endowment for Financial Education, a participant noted that most Americans now own things that only the wealthy would have enjoyed a few decades ago. But we're not paying for these things with cash. We're a credit society. He observed, I think a lot of middle-income Americans are living their dreams. They're driving vehicles they can't afford, and they're living in houses they can't afford they all have the trappings they're focused on what makes them happy today motivating americans to develop constructive financial behaviors by the national endowment for financial education two thousand four page six but other messages can touch our emotions if they can only be heard these are messages about the peace and contentment of knowing our finances are on track to meet our family's needs and the unvarnished thrill of using our resources to touch the lives of others yeah, you got it. the first step though is to establish or clarify a sense of direction a purpose for our lives connecting the dots in relation to our finances the path to peace and fulfillment is connecting our resources to what matters most to us many people however have never clearly articulated what really matters to them when they do incredible things happen Soon after I finished my training as a certified financial planner professional, I met with a wealthy businessman. James grew up in a poor black neighborhood, and his family barely made ends meet day after day. As an adult, James was driven to make enough money so that his own family never experienced the fear of empty cupboards, and he made a lot of money. James had over a million dollars in his retirement account, and his half-million-dollar home was completely paid for. Clearly. He had plenty of resources, but he lived with constant anxiety that he might not be able to provide enough for his family. No amount of money seemed to be enough to calm his anxious heart, so he drove himself day after day to make more sales. Before James and his wife Sheila walked into my office, his goal had been to make as much money as possible to be sure his family wasn't in need. As we talked about his values, it became clear to him that his real purpose wasn't making a lot of money it was stability and security for his family and he wanted to feel a sense of peace about his role as their provider we identified the goals that would fulfill his purpose including the amounts of money required for his children's education his daughter's wedding and his retirement we then outlined a plan so that all of these needs would be met with the pressure to make more and more money off his back he realized he would be able to spend far more time with his wife his children and his grandchildren before that moment, James had been so driven to make money, but now he had a clear vision for his life and the freedom to enjoy quality time with his family. In only a few minutes, the expression on James' face changed entirely. Suddenly, he broke into a huge grin, and then he looked at his wife. They reached out to hold hands and looked into each other's eyes, as if to say, This is what we've been looking for. Their anxiety and the tension that it had created between them had evaporated. They had come into my office confused and stressed, but they walked out with a profound sense of contentment and joy, because they now looked forward to a future of rich, meaningful relationships. James was a new man, with an achievable plan and the warm affirmation of his wife for being such a wonderful provider. I'd like to take a lot of credit for the change in James's life that day, but all I did was ask a few questions to clarify his goals and connect the dots between his resources and what matters most to him turning point not long after Connie and I got married we moved to Austin Texas and I got a job making more money than I ever dreamed of making it wasn't that much but to me it seemed like a fortune I was able to buy things Connie and I could enjoy and for a while it was wonderful I sure didn't want to go into debt but we spent every dime I made soon though the things I bought weren't enough to thrill me any longer I wanted more I thought I needed more I hoped the things I was buying could fill up the hole in my heart but when they didn't I tried to cram more in there but the hole just got bigger. One day I realized that I had all I'd ever wanted, a wonderful wife, two beautiful sons, a good job and lots of stuff but I was miserable. My dream was fulfilled but I felt emptier than ever. For a new thrill I started smoking pot, that felt good for a while. But bad decisions followed bad decisions, and soon I was on the verge of losing Connie, my sons, my home, and my job. I'd like to say that I flushed my last dime bag down the toilet because of noble reasons, but that's not true. I flushed it because I realized it was costing me way too much money. The answer, I became convinced, was to make even more money. I left my job and became an insurance agent. In that role, I interacted with hundreds of people, and I observed them carefully. Some were just as driven to make money as I was, and they felt just as empty. But surprisingly, many of the men and women who came to my office had a clear, compelling sense of direction for their lives, and they wanted to marshal every resource to fulfill their dreams. These people had learned one of life's most important lessons. We experience far more joy and fulfillment if we devote ourselves to others instead of spending our resources on our own pleasures. I had read about these principles of giving to live in some Bible classes in college, but these clients were flesh-and-blood examples who were living those principles. I desperately wanted what they had, but I wasn't sure how to get it. One major turning point came when I signed up for the Financial Planning Association Residency Program. I went to the conference center a day early to spend time with some friends. That morning, I walked down to the restaurant to get some coffee and I saw a man in his fifties coming out of the exercise room. He was the epitome of a handsome, fit, fabulous, successful, got-it-all-together businessman. Instantly, I hated him. Our eyes met for a second, and we smiled and nodded to each other the way polite businessmen do. I hoped I would never see him again. That afternoon, I walked into the first meeting of the residency program, and there he was. He introduced himself. Hello, my name is Rich. I hoped to avoid him as much as possible, but he was one of my mentors for the entire week. A few minutes later, all the mentors were asked to give thumbnail sketches of their business philosophies and how they serve their clients. When Rich's turn came, he told the group that he hoped to impart to us how much he treasured his clients. My clients, he told us, are more than account numbers and sources of commissions. They are people who entrust their hopes and dreams to me. He assured us that what matters most is not how much we know about investments, tax law, or retirement planning, and it's not how well we've perfected a particular set of sales techniques to get them to say yes. It's about the people themselves. Our calling, he said, is amazingly simple and immensely profound. To connect with people on the deepest level, to earn their trust so they will share with us their dreams for their families and themselves. Instead of focusing on our own goal of getting them to buy a policy or invest some money so we can earn a commission, the focus shifts dramatically to their needs, their hopes, and their deepest desires. At the end of Rich's introduction, he spoke a sentence that has resonated in my heart since that moment. When clients share their most heartfelt dreams with me, I consider that a sacred trust. Immediately, I realized, that's it. That's what I've been looking for. Relationships based on trust that surface and enhance our most cherished dreams. That's what my clients wanted. But that's what I wanted, too. I had been completely absorbed in myself. My pleasure, my goals, my desires, my success, and my comfort. The circle of my life had been reduced to a dot. As a friend of mine says about his temptation to be preoccupied with himself, I may not be much, but I'm all I think about that was true of me in spades when I met with clients I smiled and tried to look like I was genuinely interested in them but I was thinking only about selling them products so I could make more money and in my family I demanded that they comply with my wishes all day every day or I pouted but rich and the clients who had modeled a life of purpose were showing me that real life comes from looking beyond ourselves I remembered what Jesus told his followers Give away your life, you'll find life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Luke 6:38. I'd probably read or heard that passage dozens of times, but in rich and my purpose-filled clients, I saw that it's true. Those who lived for a higher purpose than their own pleasure, experienced the thrill of touching others' lives and the contentment of knowing their lives really count. The change in my life has been wonderful, if a bit uneven. As I've become convinced that living for others brings the most joy in life, I've certainly experienced far greater contentment than ever before. Instead of demanding my way all the time with Connie and our kids, and my friends and coworkers and neighbors and anyone else in the universe, I really care about them. Instead of using Connie to meet my needs, I'm more concerned about her needs. Believe it or not, I'm learning to listen. Today I see my defect of selfishness far more clearly than I did when I was submerged in it. And now I can more easily identify my selfish attitudes and actions so I can make choices to be more gracious and grateful. But make no mistake, I'm still in process and I have a long way to go. I'm only on the first part of the path. But I'll tell you, even the beginning of the journey of caring for others is far better than the best day of rampant selfishness.
0: Yeah, shoot first.
1: Everybody, all the time. Many books about financial management focus almost exclusively on those who are deeply in debt. That's a significant audience, but the financial principles that bring fulfillment and adventure apply to all of us. Getting out of debt brings tremendous relief but connecting our resources to what matters most produces a delicious blend of contentment and excitement. I believe that's what most of us long for. The message of this book is for three distinct audiences. Those in their twenties and thirties, who are just starting out and facing new responsibilities. Those in their forties and fifties, who are in their most productive years. And those in their sixties and above, who live with either great joy or regret because of past choices. Let me describe these audiences a bit more. 20s and 30s. I talked to a lot of young singles and couples who realize that their new responsibilities of work, marriage, children, and home require them to learn to manage their money. Just out of college, many of them spent every penny they made on clothes, cars, ski trips, and anything else their friends were doing. But now, they want to get serious about their finances and they're looking for some good advice. 40s and 50s. Many people in their 40s and 50s have settled into habits that are established and maybe as hard as concrete. They found a peer group they want to run with and they have determined that they need to spend a certain amount of money to be accepted by them. In some cases, these habits include sound financial management but often these habits are monsters that need to be fed with more and more money. They're making a lot of money but they're spending virtually all of it. Others in this stage of life have a lot of money in home equity and in various investments in retirement accounts, but their finances leave them with a mysterious sense of emptiness. Beyond a comfortable retirement, they aren't sure what their money is for. Some in this stage have only a modest amount of money in retirement accounts, but not nearly enough to provide the security their families need. Unless things change, they know they'll need to work until the day they die. Over 60 Older people who come to my office seem to be full of either hope or despair. In most cases, their best income-producing years are over, and they look back on their decisions with either thankfulness or regret. Important lessons, however, are learned either way, so they still have a wonderful opportunity to impart wisdom to their children and grandchildren and leave a strong legacy. Vision, Intention, and Means, a very personal journey. In my own life, and in the lives of countless people I've counseled, I've realized that change happens most readily and permanently if people have a clear picture of their future, a commitment to take steps of progress, and good handles on the steps they need to take. Elements of change, then, are vision, intention, and means. This book is structured with these three features in mind. The first three chapters focus on creating or clarifying our vision or our purpose in life. As we go through those chapters, some people may think, why is he taking so long to get to the nuts and bolts of budgeting and investing? The reason is that these three chapters are essential to give us direction and motivation for the choices we make in the rest of the book. Chapter 4 takes us through the blueprint for financial success. The analysis we do in this step stimulates our intention to make the changes we need to make. The rest of the book, chapters 5 through 8, describes the principles and resources we can use to achieve the goals we set in the blueprint. Whatever you do, don't miss Chapter 6, Small Steps, Big Payoffs. This chapter shows how seemingly insignificant choices in our daily lives make a huge difference in our financial security and opportunities down the road. For example, our choice of cars, choosing one with a $200 monthly payment instead of one with a $400 monthly payment, can save us enough money to net over $1 million when we're 65. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss that chapter. I make no assumptions about what your purpose in life is or should be. The self-discovery you'll experience in these pages will clarify your life's purpose so you can connect everything you have and everything you do to what matters most to you. As I explained the content of this book to a friend of mine, He gave a half-smile and shook his head. He told me, Yeah, but most of the financial planning books that are written by Christians have the subtle or, not-so-subtle, intention of getting people to donate their money to the church's building fund. Is that your angle, too? No, No, I told him. That's not even on my radar. I hope people will think, dream, and plan so they accomplish something that gives them personal fulfillment. That something certainly involves their family security, but it may also involve serving people in need through a host of organizations, Amnesty International, their church, Habitat for Humanity, or any of dozens of other groups that are trying to make a difference in people's lives. As you've probably guessed, I'm a follower of Christ, so my own purpose in life is shaped to a large degree by my understanding of God's desire for me and every other person who follows Him. The most powerful motivation I've known is the deep sense of gratitude, that comes from experiencing the unconditional love and acceptance of Jesus Christ. Knowing his love and acceptance is by far the most incredible experience of my life. But in my work as a financial planner, I meet with Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, agnostics, atheists, Jewish people, and others from every kind of religious stripe. Most of the principles of spending, saving, investing, and giving transcend all religions. We can apply them no matter what we believe about God. My faith, though, directs me to look beyond my own needs and try to help others. My hope is that this book will give a few, aha, moments when a light comes on and you realize a truth or an opportunity you'd missed before. Those moments inevitably lead to choices to move in a new direction or go back to a previously beaten path. As you clarify your purpose and connect your resources to what you really value, I believe you'll feel relief and contentment, and you'll celebrate knowing your life counts for something much bigger than yourself. The process of connecting our resources to what matters most is exhilarating, but sometimes it's not easy. In this book, I'm going to ask you to look at some aspects of your life, your heart and your money, as if you'd never seen them before. Have courage. It's worth the trouble. At the end of this introduction and each chapter, you'll find some exercises and reflection questions. When I read books, I get far more out of them if I take a little more time to wrestle with the issues the author presents. These exercises and questions are designed to help you gain insights about your own motivations, perceptions, and goals. I hope you enjoy working through them. And by the way, they stimulate rich discussions with your family and friends, or in a class or small group. These sections are in two parts. Think About It, and Going Deeper. The first is designed to help you reflect on the connection between your purpose and your finances, and the second part specifically addresses Christian values for those of you who want to follow Christ in everything you do, including how you manage your money. Think About It. 1. Now that you know what this book is about, what do you want to happen in your life as a result of reading and studying it? Consider your purpose in life your closest relationships, your habits of managing money, and your future. Going deeper. 1. Read Luke 6.38 again and describe what that abundance might look like with regard to your relationship with God, your relationships with others, and your generosity with your time and other resources. 2. What is Jesus' promise to us in this passage?